You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. It's so good to see all of you guys here already, and I know that uh, some more of you are going to be trickling in, but um, as we get started, I did, of course, want to, hello, (laughs) I did, of course, want to uh, remind everybody that we will be taking communion in the service, and so if you would like to participate, um, we use whatever elements that we have in our homes and that are convenient um, as we're taking communion here at Central, especially as we're doing this spread out across uh, Los Angeles and the United States and sometimes the world on Sunday mornings. Um, so whatever's communion elements for you, your uh, bread and cup, uh, grab those now. Um, and this morning is uh, a Sunday that uh, I am certainly looking forward to. Uh, if you follow us on Facebook, um, Aaron typically will post what he's going to be speaking about a few days before Sunday. Um, and uh, today our service is going to be focusing and centered around Rachel Held Evans. Um, if you're not familiar with Rachel, uh, she was a very influential uh person and Christian figure and author and blogger, um, uh, particularly amongst the uh, evangelical community and those kind of finding ways to step out of some of the more damaging things um, um, from the ways that some of us grew up. And so if you're familiar with Rachel at all, or if she was somebody who was influential in your faith journey, um, this is going to be a, a, a nice morning of celebration of her. Um, she died a couple of years ago um, in her mid-30s from um, medical complications of uh, things that were just kind of entirely shocking. Uh, I think it was, it was a really surprise. There wasn't any major thing happening beforehand. And so it was a really big shock to um, the people who followed her, but especially for somebody who was such a huge advocate of um, justice and love and reconciliation. And for those of us who have gone through journeys of deconstruction, she was a kind of mentor and guide for many of us. And what I appreciated so much about Rachel, especially is um, the way that, you know, she could be angry and feisty at times in the way that she advocated for people who were marginalized, but she was one of the most loving and caring people um, that that I can uh, remember. Um, And the way that she presented herself was just as a vessel of love um, for people who are in a process of transformation, but also for those who have been parts of systems of oppression. Um, So she's just a, was an amazing advocate. And that's something that's certainly been important to this community as we become more and more a community of advocates. Um, So this morning, as we start, I wanted to share, um, just a brief introduction. Um, This is from um, Sarah Bessie's new book, Rhythm of Prayer. And Sarah is someone who Uh, like Rachel, has been through those processes of deconstruction and and really helps connect people who are in that journey together. Um, She was, excuse me, a close friend of Rachel's as well. And uh, I wanted to just read um, as we start this dedication um, from her book. So she dedicates her book for Rachel Held Evans, who gave permission to a generation who made origami out of hate mail, who kept the faith, 
who told the truth, who dared to wonder, what if I'm wrong out loud, who was willing to keep wrestling until the blessing came, who pulled up more chairs to the table and scooted over to make room, who made us laugh and made us think, who was bold and courageous and kind, who would not be budged from her conviction that this gospel is good news for everyone, who moved to the margins because she knew this is the center of God's story, who never lost her love for telling that story, who loved us and whom we love. Ashet Shayel, woman of valor. Would you join me in prayer this morning? God of grace, God of love, God of transformation. Thank you for raising up servants who can lead us, who can show us what it means to embody love in the world. God, it's our hope and prayer that we can be part of the transformation that you're working. And yet in order to do that, we have to be transformed ourselves. As we seek to be advocates of justice and peace, as we seek to look at the experiences of marginalized and oppressed people, as we seek to come alongside those people God, let us be moved and changed. Help us to see the blind spots in our own being. Help us to see those places where we're part of systems of power and oppression. Open our eyes to the injustices that stand right before us that we don't even see. we're thankful for people like Rachel, so many others who've been influential in our stories, whoever those people are for each one of us. God, build us up that we can be a part of others' stories, that as we receive, that we can give back, that as others lift us up, we can help and support and raise up um, a new way of being your church in the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, instead of uh, a responsive reading um, as part of our liturgy this morning, I wanted to share uh, these short words. It's a, a poem and prayer um, that Sarah wrote with Rachel Held Evans in mind. God of herons and heartbreak, teach us to love the world again. Teach us to love extravagantly, knowing it may, it will break our hearts and teach us that it's worth it. God of pandemics and suffering ones, teach us to love the world again. God of loneliness and longing, of brush fires and wilderness, of soup kitchens and border towns, of snowfall and children, teach us to love the world again. Amen. Thanks, Bob. Um, as Bob mentioned earlier, we will be, and or Aaron, I don't remember, um, but we'll be taking communion as we do each week. Um, so if you haven't had a chance, feel free to grab something um, that you have available to you today. Uh, today I'm doing, I'm doing Girl Scout cookies and water. <laughs> um, 
as as we often say here, it's always fun to share what we're partaking in. I feel it brings us one step closer uh, to the feeling of being in person when we um, we're all doing it together. But um, we can do that if if you'd like. There you go. Thanks, Bob. Um, so I'll continue uh, on the theme. I have a, a reading pulled. Um, Aaron, I don't know if you were planning on uh, reading anything by Rachel directly, but uh, I am. It'll be interesting to see if we double up. But uh, God will forgive us if we do. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I pulled. I pulled something up. This one's about communion. Um, so uh, I'll I'll just read it as we prepare, um, and then we'll take communion together. Long enshrined traditions around communion aside, there are always folks who fancy themselves bouncers to the heavenly banquet, charged with keeping the wrong people away from the table and out of the church. Evangelicalism in particular has seen a resurgence in border patrol Christianity in recent years, as alliances and coalitions formed around shared theological distinctives elevate secondary issues to primary ones and declare anyone who fails to conform to strict set of beliefs and behaviors unfit for Christian fellowship. Committed to purifying the church of every errant thought, difference of opinion, or variation in practice, the self-appointed gatekeepers tie up heavy loads of legalistic rules and place them on the weary people's shoulders. They strain out the gnats in everyone else's theology while swallowing their own camel-sized inconsistencies. They slam the door of the kingdom in people's faces and tell them to come back when they are sober, back on their feet, Republican, reformed, doubtless, submissive, straight. But the gospel doesn't need a coalition devoted to keeping the wrong people out. It needs a family of sinners saved by grace, committed to tearing down the walls, throwing open the doors and shouting, welcome, there's bread and wine. Come eat with us and talk. This isn't a kingdom for the worthy, it's a kingdom for the hungry. Um, and then actually just before that piece, I wanna close by saying another quote, and these are from Searching for Sunday. This is what God's kingdom is like, a bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they were rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry, because they said yes, and there's always room for more. Um, as Bob talked about, I know Rachel is very influential for so many of us. Um, you know, she came and spoke at our church a few years back. Um, and for me, these quotes are, are so emblematic of her entire approach. Um, throwing the doors open wide, adding more seats to the table, inviting everyone to come. So with that in mind, um, may that be our calling for our own lives and our own journeys as we take communion together. So I invite you to take the bread or the Girl Scout cookie uh, or whatever you have um, today um, and remember this calling as we do. And likewise, the cup. May it be so, amen. All right, thanks, Max. So this week, um, the gathering is Wednesday at 7, and Philosophy is Thursday at 6 p.m. via the Zoom link. And then we have an upcoming blood drive on May 20th. Bob, do you know if there's any more openings? There are. Um, I'll have Bob uh, post the link for signups in the chat, and that's it. Um, I'll pass it on to you, Aaron. Thanks, Angie. Prayer requests, words of thanksgiving. You can unmute now and share whatever is going on in your life. And, um, or you can always uh, post it in a chat column there and I'll do my best to see it. But we like to talk about um, our joys and concerns at this time. So if that's you, you can go ahead and chime in. Anybody this morning? I have something. Um... Yeah. My uh, grandmother got COVID. Um, she had just uh, recently, reluctantly uh, gotten the J&J &J vaccine, uh, thank goodness. So she um, still actually ended up being hospitalized briefly. Um, 
but she was telling me on the phone she's like yeah if i hadn't had that j and j like that because because you know if this is a mild case i couldn't have probably been able to survive the you know without so just how long after yeah how long after i'm just curious how long after her vaccine did she get covid um not she she had it had been at least a few weeks so i mean it had taken it was effective i think by the time she she had that but um yeah so uh so yeah i'm thankful that you know she was able to to recover from that but i think you know she's still kind of slowly recovering so um yeah just want to you know pray for her absolutely yeah what is her name stephanie Mm -hmm. did you say stephanie yeah my grandmother's name is stephanie Got it. Got it. And then um, she's in Michigan, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Loving God, we lift up Stephanie and we give thanks for the fact that she is recovering and got the vaccine and um, is looks like it's going to be okay. But we pray for her continued health and recovery and her nerves and her mental well-being as well. Um, and all those in our lives who are... Um, recovering from COVID still, or um, or question whether or not they would get the vaccine. We just we lift them up in prayer as well. We pray for their health or and and their well-being. In Jesus' name, Amen. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Anybody else this morning? that, Max, I'm going to hand it on over to you. Thanks, Anna, for um, adding that prayer request um, to the, looks like it was added to the chat. We'll, we'll be keeping those um, prayers uh, with us this week. <clears throat> Okay, um, well, as we have often done, uh, we'll use this time for meditation, for um, for Lectio Divina, for um, pausing and taking a breath. Um, so similarly, I'm gonna read a short snippet. If I didn't, if I didn't uh, take what Aaron wanted to read before, I might take it this time, but we'll see. Um, but just a short snippet, um, again, that I find so fundamental to our understanding, especially in this community of what it means um, to be followers of Christ or people of God or people of the faith or all the many phrases we use to try to, to try to describe what it is um, we do here and who it is we are. Um, this one has always stuck with me and I think is fundamental. So I'm going to read it just a couple times as we often do um, for Lectio Divina, often a practice used for scripture. Um, but the first time, just listen, just hear. Second time, th- uh, try to listen for a particular word or phrase. And then third time, try to synthesize what that is um, and what it's asking you to do. Um, so um, here goes by Rachel Holt Evans. This one's from A Year of Biblical Womanhood. The first one is from her book, book, Searching for Sunday. Hear these words. If you are looking for verses with which to support slavery, you will find them. If you are looking for verses with which to abolish slavery, you will find them. If you are looking for verses with which to oppress women, you will find them. If you are looking for verses with which to liberate or honor women, you will find them. If you're looking for reasons to rage war, you will find them. If you're looking for reasons to promote peace, you will find them. If you are looking for an outdated, irrelevant, ancient text, you will find it. If you are looking for truth, believe me, you will find it. This is why there are times when the most instructive question to bring to the text is not, what does it say? But what am I looking for? I suspect Jesus knew this when he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. If you want to do violence in this world, you will always find the weapons. If you want to heal, you will always find the balm.
I'll read it again. <clears throat> if you're looking for verses with which to support slavery, you will find them. If you're looking for verses with which to abolish slavery, you will find them. If you're looking for verses with which to oppress women, you will find them. If you are looking for verses with which to liberate or honor women, you will find them. If you are looking for reasons to wage war, you will find them. If you are looking for reasons to promote peace, you will find them. If you are looking for an outdated, irrelevant, ancient text, you will find it. If you're looking for truth, believe me, you will find it. This is why there are times when the most instructive question to bring to the text is not, what does it say, but what am I looking for? I suspect Jesus knew this when he said, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. If you want to do violence in this world, you will always find the weapons. If you want to heal, you will always find the balm. I would invite you to, you're welcome to, if you find it a helpful practice, you can share words that stand out to you, share phrases that stand out to you. You can share those in the chat. Um, please feel free to, or just jot them down on your own. And I'll read one final time. <clears throat> if you're looking for verses with which to support slavery, you will find them. If you are looking for verses with which to abolish slavery, you will find them. If you're looking for verses with which to oppress women, you will find them. If you're looking for verses with which to liberate or honor women, you will find them. If you're looking for reasons to wage war, you will find them. If you're looking for reasons to promote peace, you will find them. If you're looking for an outdated, irrelevant, ancient text, you will find it. If you're looking for truth, believe me, you will find it. This is why there are times when the most instructive question to bring to the text is not what does it say, but what am I looking for? I suspect Jesus knew this when he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. If you want to do violence in this world, you will always find the weapons. And if you want to heal, you will always find the balm. May we be people of healing. Amen. Thanks, Max. Um, would you post that in the chat column? I don't know if it's possible. Thank you. Yeah, I will actually, I'm going to actually use that quote today, not in this talk, but I've got to go speak live at the assisted living home I, I work at, and I'm going to be talking about parables. But anyway, I, I'm going to share that, that quote, because actually it feeds right into my other talk today. Thanks for helping me do that, Max. Um, yeah. So our Rachel Held Evans theme service continues here. Tuesday, I think as Bob mentioned, Tuesday, May 4th, May the 4th be with you, right? Marks the, the two-year anniversary of Rachel Held Evans' death, who died at 37 from complications associated with the flu. A sobering reminder, actually, right, how dangerous even the common flu is. Um, we can all imagine if uh, Rachel was alive today, what she might be saying to those Christians who are anti-maxers or uh, maskers or anti-vaxxers, uh, downplaying this, the significance of, of this pandemic in the name of faith, in the name of God, right? She was never shy of commenting on current affairs, <laughs> or she was never shy of getting political, especially when the church was involved. And my remarks today about her will be relatively short. I just want to stimulate a conversation more than anything else about her impact, um, her work, and maybe about the development of what's been labeled post-evangelicalism or, or progressive Christianity, the Christian left as I think um, she was a major luminary, major major luminary and leader of, of that. Many of you know who she was, some of you may not, and this brief talk will, will serve as an introduction to her work and legacy. She will be remembered as one of the most important progressive voices, progressive Christian voices of our generation, in my opinion. opinion. Uh, she was a brilliant writer, a brilliant speaker, and some of you may remember, as I think Bob mentioned earlier, she spoke at Central, back in 2015, which feels like a lifetime ago. So some of us knew her, 
and had multiple interactions with her. I want to read an email that she sent to me after she spoke at Central. Uh, she sent me an email the next day because I think this, it's relatively short, and I, th I think it shows us kind of who she was. She wrote, Aaron, I had a wonderful time at Central Avenue last night. Please tell Emily that I am already loving the soaps and oils she gave me. The lavender goat's milk soap is my favorite. Amazing how one whiff relaxes and comforts. If we could figure out how to give everyone on the planet a bar of that stuff, I think we could achieve world peace. The care she put into pulling all that together really meant a lot to me. Blessings on your ministry. Thanks for making me feel so welcome, Rachel. You know, that's who she was. She was just really a, a genuine and, and kind person. Her career, um, you know, really took off, but she started as, you know, just a blogger. Um, I don't know if I want to put it that way, just a blogger, but she started out as, as a blogger around 2005, writing about deconstruction and critiquing evangelicalism. She gained quite a following uh, on her blog and in 2008 signed a book deal with Zondervan, which is like, you know, if you know the big Christian publishing houses, you know, Zondervan is really at the top. Uh, she signed a book deal with Zondervan for her first monograph titled Evolving in Monkey Town which was about her spiritual journey growing up in the Bible Belt and evolving away from fundamentalism and embracing a more progressive faith that gives space to questions and doubts. Now, the title of that book is important because it comes from the fact that she grew up in Dayton, Tennessee, this small town, but the, it was the infamous, <laughs> the, the location of the infamous Scopes trial in 1925, or as it's also been labeled, the Scopes monkey trial, which caught national attention at the time for being about a public high school teacher who was prosecuted for teaching Darwin's theory of, of evolution in the classroom. The trial was picked up, remember this was 1925, it was picked up by all the major newspapers in the country and even uh, aired live nationally on, on radio. And um, it was like the, the O.J. Simpson trial of its day, uh, as it was seen as this great contest between faith and science. One could actually trace the current culture where, the, the current culture where today uh, between evangelicals and secularism back to the Scopes trial, as it really was a seminal moment in U.S. history, kind of um, solidifying and demonstrating the power and the influence of conservative Christians in the public square and uh, solidifying and demonstrating uh, America's, the power of, of America's unique brand of Christian fundamentalism as a cultural force to be reckoned with. So Rachel very much traced, I would say, very much traced her spiritual roots to that moment in history and how it shaped and informed her family's worldview, uh, her hometown church, and, and the greater American Christian culture she, she grew up in and, and came out of or was still a part of. Uh, her own deconstruction would be very much about needing to find an intellectually honest faith that didn't throw science out the window. She was very concerned about that. She was very concerned about that. Like so many of us, she found the church's disregard of natural history and the church's disregard of scientific facts to be utterly devastating for the faith and proof positive that uh, the church was deeply dishonest, uh, which in turn fed into the church's authoritarianism, its sexism, its racism, and its homophobia. I, I think she saw all of that as connected. And yet she believed that the church could still be a, a, a healing place and a positive force for good in the world if it could just get out of its own way. I, I think she was still deeply committed to Christianity, still deeply committed to the church. I think she wanted to, in essence, uh, save Christianity from itself. <laughs> um, so the, these were her roots and the foundations of her work, in my, in my opinion and, and study of her. But it was her second book that really put her on the map. It was her second book that really propelled her in the national spotlight. And it was called A Year of Biblical Womanhood. Max read an excerpt from it earlier. Um, I think many of us are familiar with that work. It became a New York Times bestseller. Uh, it was all about critiquing the idea of, you know, biblical womanhood and, you know, evangelical sexism, critiquing uh, Christian patriarchy and traditional gender roles. And this is really the biggest part of her 
legacy, I think. She helped a lot of women believe that they have an equal place in the church. I think she showed a lot of people that women leaders, particularly women pastors, uh, can be just as called and gifted as men. But her legacy was, was really so much bigger than that. It was intersectional. It wasn't just about challenging gender roles, but about challenging um, you know, racial injustice, um, talking about economic justice. And specifically, she later in life, um, I think she became a huge advocate and known for being a huge advocate for LGBTQ inclusion in the church as she became a voice of affirmation. Uh, I remember hearing her speak in 2014 at the Gay Christian Network Conference in Chicago, now called the Q Christian Conference. This was, I, I looked this morning back in my emails just to verify the date. It was January of 2014 that I heard her speak. Uh, she delivered a keynote address at that conference, which was a really big deal. Uh, it, was, it was that conference and her keynote address um, that really sealed the deal uh, on my own shift, my own personal shift on this matter. Um, it, it was actually on the flight home from that conference that I decided to um, become a fully affirming pastor and to prepare a talk at Central for the next week where I would, you know, come out as it were as an affirming pastor. Um, don't mean to borrow that term coming out, but that's just what came to mind. Um, I remember a soundbite from her talk that day in Chicago that has stuck with me these many years. And keep in mind, this, this talk was to a room of about you know, 1,500 LGBTQ Christians. She said, the gospel is scandalous, not because of who it keeps out, but because of who it lets in. The gospel is scandalous, not because of who it keeps out, but because of who it invites in. Those words had a, had a really big impact on me. And I think she was deeply influenced in her own work, in her own story. I think she was deeply influenced by what's called liberation theology liberation theology, which uh, comes from the 1960s, specifically South America. Um, and the idea, it's, it's this idea that the gospel is fundamentally about, about and, and it is good news first and foremost, for the poor and the oppressed. The gospel is about justice and equality and inclusion, especially for those on the margins, especially for those who have been told by the powers that be that they are less than because of their race, gender, sexuality, class. The gospel for her was not about getting to go to heaven when you die. That's, that's a very important thing to understand about, about Rachel's faith. The gospel was not primarily about getting to go to heaven when you die and being saved from hell. When she spoke of Jesus's resurrection, she never made it into an otherworldly thing. For her, the resurrection was not about going to heaven and escaping death. She always contextualized it as a way of living today. It was, a, it was about a way, it was about new life for today. Victory over the unjust and oppressive systems of this world, be they political or religious or both. And she saw them as always intertwined and rightfully so. This was her Christian faith. This was her faith. And in this way, I think she showed us that one's faith can undergo a kind of radical deconstruction and not just survive that shift, but thrive in the aftermath. She showed us that this understanding of Christianity isn't some newfangled progressive postmodern offshoot, um, but this is in fact Christianity, uh, fundamentally, you would say. And she showed us that the church has to embody this, this understanding of the gospel, this Christianity, in order to have a meaningful voice today. So there's so many things of her that I could read this morning, and Max, you'll be happy to know that you did not read my quote. <laughs> uh, it's good that we're reading, we're reading a lot of Rachel this morning. Uh, but one of my favorite quotes is, is this one. And I'm just going to read it once, um, and then I'll open it up for Convo. And this is from her third book, Searching for Sunday, which was about kind of her vision for, the, for, for what the church could become or should become. She wrote this, we are, we're tired of the culture wars, tired of Christianity getting tangled with party politics and power. We want to be known by what we're for, not just what we're against. We don't want to choose between science and religion or between our intellectual integrity and our faith. Instead, we long for our churches to be safe places to doubt, safe places to ask questions, 
and to tell the truth, even when it's uncomfortable. We want to talk about the tough stuff, biblical interpretation, religious pluralism, sexuality, racial reconciliation, and social justice, but without predetermined conclusions or simplistic answers. We want to bring our whole selves through the church doors without leaving our hearts and minds behind, without wearing a mask, end quote. So that's Rachel. Um, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts this morning about what she wrote and her legacy. I'm curious about hearing what she's meant to you. How has she influenced you? How do you understand her role in our generation? How do you uh, find her place in history? Or, you know, how do you understand um, her role in our subculture of, you know, ex-evangelicals, ex-evangelicals or progressive Christianity? What do you think her lasting impact will be? Let's, let's talk about her work and her, and her influence and impact on us. Does anybody want to, want to get things started here? And I'll post this quote like Max did with his in the chat. I was just going to say, she's, I mean, the word, you know, a word thrown around a lot in a lot of Christian circles for a long time is the idea of like a prophet. And I really feel like she was. And in many ways, similar, similarly, I guess, um, to, you know, the ones we read about, right, in the Bible and scripture and stuff. It's not that the message was that complicated. Like, that's what yeah. I always have to with Rachel is like, it's so incredibly simple yet yet it's like the most <laughs> fundamental powerful thing that caused so many waves and so many people upset and because at the ultra at the at the um you know the core of it it's disrupting power structures and especially as a woman in the in the evangelical south and the what she called it the buckle of the bible belt right like she was cast aside as this, you know, radical, like, oh, we don't need to listen to her when it's, it's such simple, incredibly Christ-like truth. That's what I just always come back to with her. She had such a gift of taking just eternal truths and just putting them so plainly in a way that when you read it, if you actually are open to hearing it, it's really hard to argue with. <laughs> um, so I, I, of course, I'm so sad that she's no longer writing new things, but um, you know, what she left us with, I, I think just needs to be spread as far as it can be and, and heard. Um, yeah. Those are just my reflections on her. Yeah. Thanks back. She was a, a, you know, in a sense she was, she was, she really belonged to us. I mean, she was a millennial progressive Christian and, um, in that way, prophetess, you, you, I think that's a proper way to locate her voice as a, as a prophet, you know, one who cries in the wilderness, you know, um, in exile in this, you know, progressive Christian ex-evangelical landscape. Uh, that's really where she was located. I thank you for contextualizing it like that. That's really, that's really good. Um, yeah. Other thoughts, reactions, her impact on us or on you specifically. She was actually one of the first, I, you know, this was back in 2014. She was actually one of the first um, progressive Christians to actually come out as fully affirming. I think there was many sort of like Rob Bell was kind of there at the time, but not really speaking out like she was. She really spoke out. Um, she was very much, you know, animated by, a, I think, a sense of righteous indignation. I don't want to say anger, but I think she was very animated by frustration and righteous indignation. And she channeled that. And I, I've always felt, um, personally, <laughs> when I think of, sometimes I question my anger. I'm like, should I really be this angry? I'm like, no, I should. Remember Rachel? Rachel channeled that in a healthy way. And it's okay to feel angry and to use that anger uh, to speak out. 
and and Rachel, I think, was an angry voice, but in a positive way. I want to be very clear about that. Um, and I think we we can take that and and take inspiration from that and be the same way. And find the courage. It takes courage, I think, sometimes to own your anger and to use it like she did. Yeah. Any other thoughts about her? I'm curious to hear if there's any any women in our midst that um, read a year of biblical womanhood and have it like change them in any way or. Uh, I guess, uh, help them in their own journey. We seem to be a, uh, not a very talkative group this morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, I haven't read the book. I haven't read any of her books. I have them, but I haven't read them. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you for uh, inviting the women to speak. <laughs> As always. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Jen. Yeah. It was a big deal when she spoke uh, at GCN. Um, yeah. Abe, did you want to jump in? Yeah. Yeah. Let me. I'm not a woman, obviously, but uh, I, uh, uh, I can speak for uh, uh, one of the things I was kind of impressed uh, by her, her writing and her, uh, her speaking and all that. Um, she really kind of had an effect even in conservative uh, sort of spheres. Uh, like for instance, my mom and my oldest sister who, um, my mom is still pretty conservative, but my oldest sister has sort of uh, become much more sort of liberal in recent years and uh, Rachel Held Evans, I mean, it's like the way she wrote, I mean, she was very, um, you know, she really was very approachable, I think, for people that grew up uh, in rural areas, in very conservative areas. She, she wasn't like, uh, um, you know, like an elite, you know, she wasn't like, a, you know, sort of, you know, just another ivory tower, uh, you know, sort of liberal talking down, uh, talking down to me, uh, to the simple people. <laughs> uh, she really had a very approachable kind of um, manner and, and way of speaking, very funny uh, and, and that kind of thing. And I think for that reason, her, her message was uh, really just uh, spread so much uh, farther because of how genuine, uh, genuine she was. I was uh, personally, really kind of surprised. Uh, not only that I enjoy her writing, but I was surprised at how, uh, you know, like, again, that it's just like uh, my mom uh, had read, um, I can't remember which one it was. It was one of her books, uh, but I was kind of like, you know, just shocked. And she really enjoyed it, <laughs> even though she's still quite conservative, but there's still so many aspects of her, uh, her writing and her point of view that resonated even with my mom, who had you know, been in, you know, and still is in, in uh, very conservative uh, Christianity, so. That's really interesting, yeah, and I think you make a really good, good, great point there, you know, her, her ability to kind of still speak from that location of Dayton, Tennessee, I think was really what made her as powerful as she was, um, you know, I, she literally sounded like, um, almost every, every woman I went to college with, and I went to college in Nashville. I mean, she literally, she, she really sounded that way, but she was absolutely a brilliant writer, was able to communicate kind of very difficult and some complex ideas in simple ways, as Max said. I mean, she said, I mean, she really put things simply, but when you look at her actual, what she was saying and where it was coming from, these were sophisticated ideas. I mean, these were, the, the, she was a, she was really smart and she had a reputation even in high school when she was just a girl from Dayton, Tennessee as being like the youth pastors who were worst nightmare in a way. Uh, I mean, he loved her. I mean, he talks about her even today, her youth pastor, but she was the, the, the person, I don't wanna say girl, she was the person in youth group that was questioning everything and was challenging 
you know, assumptions constantly. Um, I think she was on the debate team in high school, but she was she was brilliant. But her knack, as you well put it, Abe, was really to communicate sophisticated sophisticated ideas in very simple ways, and and in a very um, love, in a way, a very funny and loving way. Even though even though it is, I think a lot of it was animated from a, a deep sense of righteous indignation. <laughs> it was just a great balance. I mean, really, um, I I just keep on coming back to what a great voice and and balance, and one that we can take a lot of inspiration from. Yeah, good. Yeah, Abe, I'm so glad to hear that uh, you talking about your mom too, because my that was my experience of her is that she seemed to be very disarming. Um, I didn't have her in a place where I was like super combative against her ideas. I don't think, but she, yeah, she she talks about things in a way that's very non-threatening, which is which I always think is really helpful, and. Connected to that, um, last month, uh, her husband, Dan, shared about a new project um, from her work um, that is pretty cool. It's something we've talked about, many of us here at Central, or many of you have shared about what it's like to talk to your kids about God and faith and all of that in a deconstructed kind of world where our faith has changed so much. Um, so Dan had posted last week that uh, Matthew Paul Turner and him worked together with uh, the project she was working on when she died, which was a children's book called What is God Like? And it releases next month. So I just shared the link in case any of you are interested in seeing work that she was doing that uh, she didn't have a chance to finish. Wow, thank you for, yeah, thank you for posting that or telling us about that. I actually asked her directly once uh, about the work of Peter Rollins and what her opinion of, and she knew Peter, Peter knew her, and I've actually talked to Peter about her as well, but I asked her, what do you think of the work of Peter Rollins, and some of you know who he is, she was like, um, from, from the little I understand him, I think he's pretty good. <laughs> I think she found it, she understood it, but she was like, she was, I think she found his work to be too abstract and I can certainly understand that, but she was just like, she was not a real big, she wasn't really into Pete and, and, and that whole, but anyway, it was interesting. Um, yeah, good stuff. Thanks, Bob. Other thoughts about her? And I think she also helped us understand ourselves as, you know, millennial Gen X progressive Christians in a, in a political way, too. I think she helped us find our political voice. And I think that's an important thing to remember, that she helped us articulate political theology, as it were. Um, you know, even though she died during the Trump administration, you know, we all remember how outspoken she was about what was going on in white evangelicalism, specifically with its uh, merger with the far right and its growing in that direction. You know, I think in a lot of ways, she should be remembered as a voice in our, you know, progressive millennial Gen X sub, you know, subculture as a voice that helped us locate ourselves in political theology. I think her, her contribution to political theology will be big, uh, her legacy, I mean. Um, yeah, I think that's important to recognize. Any other thoughts before we conclude today? I want to thank you all for being here, uh, per use. And uh, I'm thinking about um, starting um, next Sunday, as, you know, kind of this, this, um, talk today about Rachel preparing for this made me wonder if we should do like a talk on, you know, thinkers and writers that have had a big influence on, on us or on me. Um, so we might, we might do a couple more Sundays on, on thinkers and writers that have had a big influence on this community and specifically on progressive Christianity 
as a whole. Uh, we might we might do something like that. Does that does that interest you guys? Yes, no. I'm seeing some some nodding. Yes. We never really talk specifically about uh, the the court. You know, specific people. You know, take an entire Sunday to talk about a particular person's work. I got a few people in mind. Um, so we might we might start a series on that. Um, I'd, I'd be curious to hear. Um, Jen Hanks says, yes, that would be great, exclamation point. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, I'd be curious to hear, uh, you know, if you guys have any um, suggestions about who we should cover. Obviously, I have a few people in mind, but, um, you know, I'd be curious about who's been a big influence on you and, and you know, who can we talk about? Um, so if you have any suggestions, you can, you can uh, chime in now or send me a uh, text or something. But otherwise, uh, we'll do a few weeks on, on some important thinkers. Yeah. Thanks for being here, everybody. We are officially dismissed. Go in peace. Uh, Sue Young, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I learned a lot. Oh, thank great. You. Well, that's, that's always good to hear. Yes, <laughs> always. You. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. All right, you too. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Rodney, are you, are you back home? It looks like you're back home. I am for this week. Uh, I still have to go back next week. <laughs> At least they put you up in a nice hotel room. That place looks nice. Dude. Really nice. Yeah. I, I didn't know it was historic till I went walking and saw the historical data placard out front. I was like, oh, okay. What, what is it historical for in Atlanta? Just when it was built. It, it, it was like one of the first premier hotels in Atlanta um, and a lot of old time celebrity stayed there and then it was refurbished and that kind of thing. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. Well, cool, cool. So you got to, you got to go back this week though. Yep. Got to go back on Friday. All right. Well, For one more week. Okay. Right. Not complaining. <laughs> no, I know you're not. I know you're not. It's good to be working. Yeah, exactly. All righty. Well, everybody love and peace. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>